Julia. <laughs> I don't know how to work my microphone. <laughs> Welcome to Unnecessary Angst. <laughs> the podcast. The podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, ex- I feel like it's been forever since we've talked, Julia. I'm really glad to be back in our I know. non-existent recording studio, <laughs> getting this podcast <laughs> up and running again. Um, we're going to be talking some more about The Cruel Prince today, specifically chapter 16, but before we get into that, uh, why don't you tell us how you're doing, and if you're drinking anything tonight. <laughs> um, I am doing okay. I am drinking tea instead of alcohol because of health reasons. Mm. So um, Chantel is carrying all the weight. She's drinking double tonight for me. No, she's not, but <laughs> I wish she were. I mean, I am <laughs> drinking a 16 fluid ounce instead of a 12 fluid oh, ounce. Oh, so, so you're, you're kind of drinking for me. Mm-hmm. That's very kind of you. <laughs> I have you're been so very, welcome. very busy. I've had my week off, quote unquote week off, which was mm-hmm. really just catching up on all of my projects that are due in this next week which sucks Mm -hmm. um but you know whatever (laughs) i'm halfway through the semester as of next week or this coming week Mm -hmm. which is exciting um yeah i was talking okay i was talking with someone the other day um who was asking me like like you know what's been on your mind lately like just like catching up and stuff yeah I was like, oh, the question was, like, what's been bothering you? Like, what are your shower thoughts? Like, we were trying to get creative questions, I guess. Um, (laughs) I was like, "Um, well, I have an assignment that's due tomorrow that I haven't finished, so that's been bothering me. They were like, that's not really what the question I was – the answer I was trying to get out of you. (laughs) Do you have anything a little bit deeper? And I was like, no, this is all my life is right now is schoolwork. (laughs) I have nothing else to contribute. I have no personality right now. <laughs> so that's my life. How's yours? <laughs> um, my my life is all right. You know, I uh, now have a fourteen year old roommate, which has been an uh, an adjustment. But it's we've been having a lot of fun, getting a lot of stuff done around the house. So we got my rug laid out today, my dining room table put together. So like my downstairs is now pretty much done, which is really nice. Um, other than a couple things here and there. And uh, we went and did some shopping this weekend, had just a, a nice time outside. So it's been really That's nice. Exciting. Um, yeah, I'm not wasting any food because I have someone else here to eat food with. So <laughs> it's been, uh, it's been good. Um, and yeah, tonight I'm, I ordered a bunch of new ciders from a like craft cider website thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm drinking a pog cider, which is pineapple, blood orange, and pink guava hard cider. Interesting. The place mm-hmm. is called Pog? No, it's the name of the... Speci- it's from Newtopia the... Cider. That's the cider house. Oh. But Pog is the name of a juice that you get in Hawaii or that you, like, drink oh. on the way to Hawaii. They always serve it in the um, in the airplane, and they used to sell it in my grocery store back home. And Pog was my favorite juice growing up. But it's pineapple, orange, and guava juice. And it's just called Pog. That's what it is. And so this logo that I'm showing you, obviously can't show the listeners, but it's kind of a play on the original juice logo. So it's supposed to be a cider that sort of replicates the juice. 
I see, I see. Which I was really excited about because it was my favorite juice. Um, and it's good. It's very sweet, very tropical, orangey. Barely tastes like cider. <laughs> so right Love up my that. alley. <laughs> Love that for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise things are things are good. You know, just chugging along as best as we can do. <laughs> Yeah, I relate. (laughs) Which, you know, I feel like that's kind of what Jude's doing in this chapter, too. She's kind of just along the ride. I related to her a lot. Yeah, no, it's probably the most that we will. (laughs) That's fair. That's totally fair. Um, So, should we just get into it? Yes. All right. So, we're only covering chapter 16 today because it is long it's a long (laughs) chapter a lot of stuff is going on so i'm just gonna be talking for like 20 minutes while i do this synopsis but so we start the chapter with jude she's just mentally and physically exhausted from her self-induced poisoning her lessons with Maddox, um, for all of her strategy and swordplay, and her lessons with the Court of Shadows. She's sent on a couple more missions um, to steal a letter that's been addressed to Elowen, uh, steal a ring from one of Balakin's consorts, but she doesn't know why or really have any context for any of these missions that she's doing or what she's actually stealing. And she's biding her time in lectures with the rest of the fairies, waiting for them to do something to her but so far nothing else has happened it's been pretty low-key since the fairy fruit incident Locke continues flirting with her um sitting with her and taryn for lunches walking her home kissing her in the trees because they are now a couple i guess it's very (laughs) confusing uh nikasia and cardin are upset with him for spending all this time with jude and Locke basically just laughs nikasia off and makes fun of her uh she tells jude not to believe anything that Locke is saying to her and jude asks if cardin has forgiven her for um i don't even remember what it was like such a weird situation but nikasia just gets all haughty she's like my mother's queen i'm better than you (laughs) and then jude walks away smiling to herself because she knows how awful nikasia's mother is because queen orlog is the one who's been involved in the poisoning uh or the potential poisoning that balakin's plotting (laughs) Um, asterisk (laughs) well there may be more poisonings we don't know we find out later in this chapter potentially (laughs) so jude falls asleep in class um and it's class up in a tower right like they're up in the tower mm-hmm. yep. doing astrology or some astronomy or something <laughs> and she she's falls asleep and it's after class no one's there valerian pushes her to the floor and she kind of like checks herself and she's like oh i thought i was paranoid i guess i'm not paranoid enough because i let myself fall asleep in a tower <laughs> why did this happen <laughs> idiot God, which it's crazy that she's thinking she's not paranoid enough because she's the most paranoid person on the planet. <laughs> but, all right. Uh, Jude asks where Taryn is, and Valerian reminds her that Taryn promised not to help her and that she's on her own. He has, he cut her Rowan necklace, her Rowan berry necklace, off of her neck while she was sleeping and tells her to kind of go out the window, or look out the window, call to Cardin, and tell him that he's won, and then 
jump from the tower to her death. Yeah. Casual. This escalated so quickly. Jude is shocked with the violence in his glamour because he's trying to glamour her to do this. And she knows that (laughs) she would be dead at that exact moment if she hadn't made the deal with Dane to get the geas. Uh, So she retorts back saying she'll take the stairs and he blocks her way furious. He asks why she isn't obeying and she says uh, that he got the jump on her twice and he'll never get it again. And he starts rambling about the banality of the human race slash species saying horrible things and Jude just keeps yes anding him. (laughs) It's just like, girl, the sass levels need to chill out. He grabs for her throat to kill her. Uh, he's literally about to strangle her to death, so of course, Jude does the logical thing of stabbing him through the ribs. He loosens, letting her go, and she knows Maddox would tell her to finish the kill, uh, because he's bloodthirsty, but she mm-hmm. knows better than to murder a gentry member, so she pulls out her dagger, like, pulls her dagger out of him and runs away. She looks back, <laughs> sees him holding his wound in pain, and then she's like, oh yeah, my dagger was iron, so that's extra painful to fairies, like, just as a secondary thought, which cracked me up. This girl. I came up with her. Um, so she runs into Taryn. Taryn asks what he did to her, and Jude just kind of internalizes her feelings about Taryn leaving her with him there asleep, trying not to get too mad at her sister. Uh, they run into Cardin, and... He notes and says that she cut herself, um, but he's just, like, making a comment. He's not being threatening or anything. He's just like, oh, you cut yourself. (laughs) And she pulls her knife back out, her bloody (laughs) knife, and says that she could cut him, too. And Cardin waves, uh... What a turn on. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, it's just crazy. And Taryn's trying to, like, make comments in the background, and Cardin just waves her off in her indignation... He's like, you're boring. Go away. <laughs> and literally, like, almost word for word. Like, yeah. You're boring. Leave. Go away. <laughs> and really, um, Cardin is, like, just trying to have a conversation with Jude. Like, he's trying to be witty and, like, match wits and have an intellectual little conversation battle there and that, rather than, like, fist fight. And so Jude's like, oh, maybe... He doesn't know that Valerian just tried to murder me because that was her assumption. <laughs> like, girl, the paranoia. She I get it. All though. over the place. Well, I get it though because like she she thinks Cardin has control over his friends with when she doesn't realize that he has absolutely no control None. over his friends. Which he's again, just a we, prince. We learn he's just later. there to look pretty. <laughs> he just has a title. Yeah, he's there to look pretty and, like, flaunt his title. Yeah. Um, so Taryn grabs... She's been sent away, right? So she goes over to Locke, grabs him, and sends him over to Jude. And Jude says um, that Cardin thinks that she doesn't deserve... That she doesn't deserve Locke. So she says that to Cardin. She's like, I know you don't think that... I deserve him, blah, blah, blah. And Cardin just laughs, and he's like, you're perfect for one <laughs> Which is the best comeback. I appreciated that from him. Uh, Locke throws an arm around her shoulder, being Mr. Tough Guy, and they walk away. 
They walk through the crooked forest, and she tells him she stabbed Valerian and thinks she may be in trouble because of that. And he's like, no, Valerian won't admit that he was bested by a mortal girl. The toxic he's like masculinity. the epitome of a jock. Epitome of a jock. Seriously. Oh, such a jock. Um... She asks if Cardin will be upset that the plan failed, and he reveals to her that Cardin probably doesn't know because he isn't really a leader of their group. He's just kind of glue that holds them together because he provides them each with their own escapes. Nikasia craves power, which Cardin can obviously provide because he's a prince. Locke craves dramatics, obviously. <laughs> He just likes to be wherever the story is happening. And Valerian craves violence, which Cardin allows him to do, whether or not he knows about it. Locke elaborates that he loves stories, and if they aren't there, he creates them, which is kind of menacing, but uh, whatever. And then he elaborates that Nicasia and Cardin used to be a thing apparently but she left Cardin for Locke which allowed Nicasia to gain power over Cardin and then I'm guessing Locke Locke left Nicasia for Jude which is never explicitly said but it seems like that's what's happening yeah I think it's implied which wild (laughs) the amount of in dating in this friend group is wild it's uh, like Gossip Girl. It is. It's exactly like Not Gossip Girl. Not to get pop culture but... But that's correct. <laughs> the dating sequences here. It's so <laughs> insane. Um, so they're still just like walking through the woods, and she's like not at all paying attention to anything that's happening. So then she asks, oh, where are we going? And he's basically taking her back to his estate. Uh, he wants to show her his hedge maze. Hedge maze. That's the word. Hedge maze. Hedge mage. (laughs) And he says that there will be a party later he wants her to stay for. And she's trying to, like, subtly refuse to be like, I have other things to do. Not, I don't want to hang out with you and your friends. But he peer pressures her into staying because don't we love a boy that peer pressures girls into things? Great. Locke's estate is absolutely beautiful, but she notes that it's smaller and less fortified than Maddox. They go inside and she sees some food laid out, and then she just kind of starts getting lost in her own thoughts, thinking about the maid that she saw cleaning Cardin's fireplace, and thinking about how easily she could be that maid, and then she shakes away her thoughts and asks about his family, and we learn that he's living in this house all alone by himself because his father is too wild for the court so has been not necessarily exiled but just like is off doing other things and his mother died and then he notes that he knows the story of her parents calling it a tragedy suitable for a ballad uh which is such a weird thing to say when your parents were murdered but okay She asks him further about his mother. He says that she consorted with the High King and got pregnant. Again, wild. So someone poisoned her with blusher mushrooms. I feel like this is a lot to be telling a girl right now. Listen. Yeah, my my mom got poisoned. (laughs) First date, it's fine. First sleeping with the king. (laughs) 
<laughs> and my uh, unborn brother or sister was dead as well. Great. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, and so Jude starts pondering if Queen Orlog was also involved in the death of Locke's mother because of the blusher mushrooms. And then she apologizes to him for prying because this is also way too much information, as you were saying. <laughs> And then Locke, being the Mr. Poetic that he is, says that they're both children of tragedy. (laughs) But it's not what he wanted their conversation to be like, because he wants to give her food and woo her. That's his real aim with bringing her back to his house. And he says he wants to show her something else before the maze and takes her upstairs and she starts having a panic attack walking up the stairs because she's thinking about being in the tower with Valerian. Uh, They climb to the top of his tallest tower and look out onto the grounds and the world, and she apparently can see into the human world through the mist surrounding Elfheim from there, which I thought was really cool. I thought that was, like, a picturesque sort of thing, that you can, like, see the lights Mm -hmm. of the human world through the mist. And he says that the mortal world looks like fallen stars and notes that he went there with his mom when he was a kid, and she said that the fairy world would grow stagnant without the human world. So he's just trying to, like, romance the heck out of the human that he's dating, basically. He's not even, like, a trying to hide it. Like, he no, outright said, like, he's so listen, smooth. I'm here to woo you. <laughs> it's so, so smooth. So he starts kissing her and tells her how beautiful she is, which, of course makes Jude super fluttery inside because she knows that he can't lie. So, clearly he actually thinks she's beautiful. And she comments how amazing... This is my favorite part of the chapter. She comments how amazing the view is, noting that it looks like a strategy board. (laughs) (laughs) This girl. This girl. And so he starts laughing at her. And makes a comment about how much time she must spend with her father and in his study. And she's like, yep, I spend enough time there. I spend enough time there to know how I'll do against all of you and how to strategize against the four of you. It's like this boy's making out with you and you're telling him you know how to win in a battle against him. (laughs) Wild. And he says that Cardin is a fool, the rest of them don't matter. But teases her, saying that this must be part of her plan, getting him to take her to his stronghold and bend him to her will. And then he notes that it won't be very hard, because he's super into her. Uh, And she laughs, saying that he's nothing like the other three. And he questions if that's actually true, which she retorts by asking if he will ever order her to jump, or if he'll order her to jump from the tower while they're up there. And he says, of course not. And uh, also says she is not the way they, and I'm putting that in quotation marks because this is unclear to me, um, but he says that Jude is not the way they said she would be, which again, very sinister comment. (laughs) He clearly has an ulterior motive. They kiss some more. They continue kissing as they walk down the stairs. So... (laughs) How do you do that physically? I don't understand. Uh, Carefully and slowly. (laughs) So it takes them forever to get downstairs. And then when they get downstairs, um, they eat some food in the kitchen. And then 
I, I love the way I describe this in the summary. They do the hot, girl is seated, boy is standing, counter slash table makeup. It's a classic. It's a classic <laughs> trope. She starts, she starts panicking internally, thinking about what is coming next, cough, cough, sex, and is worried about her body odor and her inexperience. Oh, dude, the things we're all worried about. Listen, I get it. I completely get that, so I can't laugh. I can laugh because I've been there. Like, I also, it's like you do that discreet little smell to be like, am I okay to be making out right now? What's happening? Um, So I just, I love that, like, honest commentary running through her head. He asks her, this is the best part, too. He asks her to stay that night. Like, he's like, stay with me tonight. And she's panicking, thinking he means, like, stay the whole night. And have sex with him. But he really just means the party. Like, stay for the party. Come hang out at the party. <laughs> and she says that his friends won't like it. He says they'll be too drunk to notice. And she needs to live a little. Again, with the peer pressure. And he says that he'll get her a gown and whatever she needs. Um, so she'll look nice for the party. So that she can replace her tunic that is covered in Valerian's blood. I think that's lovely. The- perfect way to show up to the party personally yeah that's just me and says it'll be good for her to see uh the the other kids outside of school when they're being drunk and stupid because it'll give her more information and a little bit more leverage as well and she she says she likes him and she likes playing pretend with him Knowing that they can't be together, but just enjoying the moment. And it's like, Jude, you need to learn how to romance better. Like, that's not what you said. I'm glad that she's aware, though, that this is not going to go far. Like, it's not a good relationship. No, I agree. He's definitely not at all trustworthy, and it's not a good idea to be dating him. But, like, if you don't say these things. I know. <laughs> like, you just, huh. Anyways, so he takes her up to his mother's bedroom to grab a gown, and she understands why this room has been locked up. It's, like, very dusty and stuff, um, and is just thinking about the grief that he must have with his mother being gone. They look at all of these dresses that are absolutely breathtaking, even though they're kind of rotted and, and moth-eaten. Um, they're still absolutely beautiful. Like, the fabric's amazing. And she says she finally feels desire for clothing in a way that she never did from any of Oriana's dresses. She grabs a dress with the silhouette of dancing fawns and is struggling to dress herself without Tatterfell because those big ball gowns are no joke. They're like so hard to put on. And she's thinking about how she can't really redo her hair because she doesn't have Tatterfell there. So she leaves it in the crown of braids that she already has it styled in. And she then is, she shudders, thinking about the fact that she's in a dead person's clothes. (laughs) It's like, Jude, it's not like she died in that dress. Chill, but all right. And questions Locke's intentions. Thank God. He tries to give her jewelry, but she refuses. And then she kind of starts pondering what it would be like to be mistress of that house, throwing parties for the gentry and spying on them all for Dane. I mean, she 
has like two emotions. One's with Locke, one's spying for day. That's it. But they're together at the same time. She's like, I guess I will continue to make out with Locke so that I can be a better spy for day. <laughs> it's her She's association. excuses. She cracks me up. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so they go out to the hedge maze where apparently the friend group meets a lot and she hears them laughing, knows that her and Locke are showing up a little bit late. And grabs her knife for reassurance. She just always needs to know it's there. And then she also feels a golden acorn left in the pocket from Locke's mother. She doesn't know what purpose it serves and drops it back in her pocket. And they walk through the maze and she tries to memorize it in case she used to find her way out alone. Because she's always strategizing. And she thinks about how they're probably whispering about where she is at or where she is at her family dinner because she's skipping family dinner which is a big no-no she knows maddock will be annoyed with her but she doesn't really care and at the center of the maze uh the fairies are there's a bunch of fairies gathered they're just milling about drinking different uh liqueurs carden (laughs) this also escalated so quickly carden Carden is lying down with two girls (laughs) one's kissing his throat and one's kissing his calf and he's wasted uh she doesn't see valerian and hopes that he's not showing up because he's nursing his wound she takes a sip of pine liquor and starts coughing which makes Cardin look at her and even <laughs> it just Cardin kills me even while a girl is like actively trying to have sex with him she's like kissing his mouth and has her hands wandering all over his body he's just staring at jude like, actively making out with a girl and just staring at Jude. <laughs> he's drunk, but he's his eyes are focused on Jude. And she blushes and turns her gaze away. Nikasia walks up, questioning which twin is there. Like, drunk AF. <laughs> she is wasted. Oh, my God. And Jude, Jude just responds, and she's like, the one you don't like. And Nikasia laughs, and she's like... <laughs> You'd be surprised how I feel about you. How we feel about you. Like, insinuating that she likes Jude more than Taryn. (laughs) So drunk. So dumb. They're a mess. And then Locke pulls her away. And she secretly pours out her thimble of liquor when he isn't looking. Because she's not about to let stuff get to her head. And they move towards a low table with lots of pillows uh, while a naked boy painted gold sings a dirty song to the group, because we all need that, right? Every party needs it. And then Locke and Jude kiss in front of the fire, and she knows people are watching, but refuses to look around, just, like, focusing on her and Locke. And then that's the end of the chapter, and I'm just gonna say it, I, like, accidentally peeked at the start of the next chapter, where it's, like, Jude not remembering things, and I'm so stressed not knowing what happens in the next chapter. Why would you do that to yourself? Oh, no. I mean, it's not like I turned a page. Like, it ended on one page, and then the next page, Uh the chapter Uh started. It was an accident. So now I'm, I'm very stressed. I'm very stressed what happens at the rest of this party. But that's as much as we get in chapter 16. So, should we go through comments? You want to start? 
Yes, because I'm sure I have very le- much less than you do. <laughs> um, okay. First of all, just like an overall thing that I really actually I figured out. It's not like just pertaining to this exact chapter, mm-hmm. but like why I do in some ways like Jude's character more than other YA kind of fantasy or even like other dystopian adventure books mm-hmm. i guess you could say yeah she's not this chosen one like she's not she wasn't born with this special gift like she just had circumstances that brought her to the fairy world she's mm-hmm. not actually special other than that it's right. not like she has special magic running through her veins or like right she's like secretly the daughter of somebody who was the queen's consort or whatever like as far as we know like and i'm pretty sure like i could say like she's not that special but she makes herself special i mean like not in exactly the best way (laughs) but like she she does go out and seek a way to kind of insert herself and really make herself a main character like we always talk about like Mm -hmm. oh who's the main character of you know life etc etc like Mm -hmm. she has made herself a main character which I appreciate because I feel like it, it's like a little bit more like she has to work a lot harder versus other I'm not gonna like talk about other, well I guess I can like um Red Queen like she the main character in that is born like not knowing that she has a very special ability and so mm-hmm. that makes her special Jude just is like I'm gonna cut you down and that's what makes her special and it's like something she had to learn mm-hmm. um so I just realized I appreciated it, and I th- think that came out in chapter sixteen with the whole stabbing Valyrian, <laughs> which was such a wild scene. Um, yeah, uh, I love that we absolutely know that Locke is a fuckboy. I love that he just like straight up told us he was like, I only like people who's stories are interesting and once they're not i'm out like we're just told up front like that's just a very fancy way of being like i'm a fuck boy i'm only here for the good time not for the the long time no yeah Um, he's a total fuck boy uh and i think like juke kind of recognizes that too like she's like Mm -hmm. yeah this isn't gonna last but like it's kind of fun right now and like good for her for going and getting some action i guess is it like healthy probably not but you know what what teenage relationships are really that healthy let's be honest we're we're all dumb when we're teenagers we make mistakes um oh yeah we do (laughs) so there's also (laughs) yeah there's also this line where he's like you your eyes are the color of walnuts oh my god yes (laughs) i cannot every time anyone tries to talk about how beautiful someone's brown eyes are i cannot hold in my laughter because it is so dumb you there's no way to talk about brown eyes and be like they're beautiful like blue eyes green eyes okay like you can get some really nice metaphors Mm -hmm. in but brown eyes come on there's nothing good to say about brown eyes i think the closest i've gotten with my brown eyes is like i have specks in my eyes so when people Mm -hmm. get really close they can see that and they i've had compliments on them and like Mm -hmm. that's as good as you're gonna get like if there's a special feature in your brown eyes. Um, well, you just have to be really careful what you're comparing brown eyes to. Like, mm-hmm. walnuts are not it. 
That's just the right comparison. But, like, it's a very fairy comparison. That's true. It's very nature-based. I I get that. But, like, you can compare brown eyes or, like, describe brown eyes with, like, chocolate metaphors that make Mm -hmm. it nice um, or that can be really nice. You can just talk about the depth in someone's eyes rather than the color to explain, you know, all of the amazing things you can see in their eyes, even if it's not necessarily the specific color, but, like, how you get lost in them. Like, there's ways to do it if a person has brown eyes. Walnuts ain't it. <laughs> it's not the right description. It's not the, it's not the right play. <laughs> Bad flirt. Bad flirt move. Well, like, <laughs> well, I've heard, like, chocolate before, and, like, that's okay, but again, it's, like chocolate is something you eat there's just something weird about being like your eyes are the color of chocolate like no still kind of weird there's nothing brown that you're like that's beautiful unless you're bella swan from twilight talking about the brown hills of arizona (laughs) yeah (laughs) i guess so oh we have Um, i should go back and look and see how edward describes her brown eyes in Twilight, because I feel like he describes them a lot. <laughs> yeah, I guess I just don't remember that. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I mean, if you find that and, like, it's a good comparison, a good metaphor, like, mm-hmm. let me know, because I'm genuinely interested. I mean, we, but um, we can all collectively agree, Walnuts is not the right one. Like, Locke's not doing Jude any favors here. <laughs> It's just weird in general now that I think about, like, why are you talking about someone's eyes? Like, you have the most beautiful eyes. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't, I guess I don't stare at people's eyes enough to be like, yeah, I'd love your eyes. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever complimented someone's eyes before. Anyway, tangent, though. <laughs> Long tangent. Um, <laughs> uh, what was my other thing? Oh, the acorn that she finds in the dress all i'm going to tell you is that does come into play in i believe it's in at least two ways Mm -hmm. and i i also i did read ahead again because i wanted to check something there is something big that i thought happened in the next book that actually happens in this book Mm. so we have that to look forward to and it is connected with the acorn yay i don't know if the other connection happens in this book though that might be later on okay yeah i literally just wrote that down i was like so this golden acorn is definitely something I don't know so what there's yet. a reason. She took a long time to describe it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's Holly Black is not subtle about this stuff. <laughs> I love it. It's great. <laughs> I like clues because it's like not enough to give away anything, but I like having little clues that it's like, oh, something's gonna come here, something's gonna come there, and it's like nice to have those callbacks. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. She's, like, borderline Chekhov's gun with, like, everything that she puts in here. There's a couple things that, like, I think don't matter. But, like, everything that she describes Mm -hmm. becomes very important at some point, I think. With the exception of Milo. (laughs) With the exception of Milo. I'm sorry. (laughs) My emo prince. I'm so sorry. (laughs) The human world doesn't matter. It's the stuff in the fairy world. I know. I know. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I would like to break down, so the beginning of this chapter, before the Valerian mm-hmm. stuff, when she's talking to Winlock and um, Jude are talking to Nikasia, he's saying to her, he's like, oh, is he more angry that you chose me over him or that I chose a mortal over you? Like, I get, I get that Nikasia and Cardin had a thing, and she left him for Locke, so I can understand Cardin being upset that Nikasia chose Locke over him, but then why would he be upset that Locke chose Jude over Nikasia? Is Cardin taking that as, like, a personal attack that down the chain of command, he's, Jude's not interested in him? Well, he has a reason. Actually, he has a couple reasons. That we don't know yet? Other than the fact that I know that he clearly loves her. (laughs) Well, I think that's probably one reason, and there's another reason that we don't know yet. Okay. But it's just silly. It's like... I can I understand you're being you being mad if your girlfriend dumped you to go date your best friend. Like that's very understandable to be mad about. But then like to get mad that your best friend dumped your ex-girlfriend to go date a completely <laughs> random girl. It's just ridiculous. It's like that shouldn't hurt your pride, but ugh, whatever. I also when Jude makes the comment to Nikasia about Cardin, asking if Cardin has forgiven her yet, like, has forgiven Nikasia, I'm trying to figure out what he's supposed to be forgiving her for. Is it for leaving him for Locke? Is it for the fairy fruit incident? Like, the context just wasn't very clear to me, and I wasn't sure it if you had It will become clear. Oh, so it's something we don't know about yet. Yeah. Their group dynamic is really stupid like why would you know about that that we don't know why wouldn't you know about it why would you know because jude is the one that asked nikasia if cardin's forgiven her yet oh that comment i think that was uh actually that's a good question i don't remember i'm so confused that's why i said at the beginning of the summary i'm like i don't know what cardin's supposed to be forgiving yeah or why jude's asking about it but oh is it about her leaving Carden? Th- I think that's why I assumed. I guess my only other thought is the fairy fruit thing that Nikasia took it too far and Carden was pissed at her. I don't think that would have been it though. Uh, wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think that he would have been like you know cussing her out for that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. Also, uh, Valerian. That escalated so quickly. Like, where where does he get off? Like, does he actually think that would have made Cardin happy? Was he trying to do that for his friend? Was he just... I think it's just his own vengeance. Like, he is like, he has one emotion and it's anger. And I get that, but... Okay, so this is gonna sound bad, but like the fairy fruit thing is one thing. Sending someone to their death, so like, well, wholeheartedly was just really frightening. I think it's just because, like, it's that whole discourse between fairies and mortals. Like, fairies really do 
think of themselves as the species that's way above mm-hmm. humans. Like humans, mortals are just that, exactly that. They're just mortals. Like there's nothing special about them. They're just like they're like cats to them. He's he murdering he, he, he a like, cat is not good yeah. either. Yeah, but there are people out there that are that messed up. Who would do that? That's true. Um, I it I mean I expect violence in this book. It just got so dark and escalated so quickly so fast that it was really shocking and it just it made me really glad that bullies don't have the power to enchant their victims because it it Mm -hmm. kind of makes you realize even though what he was trying to do could have been so much worse if his glamour had actually sort of like gone through right like an email being sent um but words have the power to do so much damage because not like he was physically harming her he was just going to be using his words to make her harm herself and that happens so much with teenagers that it's like really scary um yeah god being a teen is hard i'm so glad we're not in that life stage anymore um and i still don't understand why jude won't talk about her feelings to her sister (laughs) i wish she would go to fairy therapy or something because she's (laughs) suppressing so much she's like internalizing her feelings about taryn leaving her alone and it's like why don't you just have a conversation with taryn about it i know and like work through your problems i know i didn't okay um i was kind of talking about this in the summary too but Carden is an enigma to me. Like, I'm still trying to figure him out. I'm so confused. Because he's been horrible to Jude for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then all of a sudden, these last couple of chapters, he's been just like, here's some salt to get rid of this enchantment for you. Oh, by the way, you're hurt. Let's let's have a chat. How you doing? Like, let's. Let's have a little battle of the wits here. Like, what game is he playing? Does he know what game he's playing? Because I feel I like think he he's doesn't. just being a stupid teenage boy who doesn't understand his feelings and doesn't understand how to talk to a girl that he likes who is reasonably not on his level. Like, technically speaking, like he is a prince. Um, yeah. She is well below him. Yep. Versus like Nikesha, who's more on his level, and so it's a little bit easier. And to who's kind of rejected? <laughs> And who has rejected him. So he's kind of like, what the heck is going on? It's true. I just, oh man. It's sad though. Like, even at this point, I'm more on Cardin's side than I am on Locke's. In the battle for Jude's heart. I don't trust Locke. He seems She, she doesn't either, but she's still like, what the heck? I, let's do I know, it. I know. It just, he sketches. I'm sketched out by him. He, I get vibes and I don't like it. I don't trust him. Um, <laughs> this this is my comment in the same paragraph I was writing. I was like, what is with Cardin's cryptic comment that her and Locke are perfect for each other? Is that because there's a secret plot that he put Locke up to? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> I'm I trying to know predict- something. He probably does. I'm trying to predict the plot, and I, like, can't, and it's really frustrating because of how slow we have to read this. I'm so sorry. It's not your fault. It's, I'm sure you felt like this with the concealed when you had to be like, okay, 
But that what's girl went ha- to so many classes <laughs> and took so oh many showers. It's so many showers. So um, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm trying to predict the plot, which is where all of these like crazy theories come from. Because it's like I just mm. there's no like there's hints of little things like the acorn <laughs> for things to come. But nothing that really gives an indication of, like, where Cardin's head is at to know what he's going to do next. Because Jude, again, is such an unreliable narrator that she's just, like, not focused on, like, Cardin's actual intentions with anything. Mm-hmm. She's just like, he tried to talk to me, so I pulled a knife on him. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> God damn it. Um... I also thought it was interesting because we're constantly reminded that Locke's eyes are fox-shaped, that he has fox eyes, and Jude comments that he seems like a trickster god at one point, and so it just was making me think about foxes because they're always associated with cunning and trickery, right? Like, that's just the Mm -hmm. nature of the fox, and I still don't understand why she trusts him at all because I, it's. I feel like they're making it obvious that he's pulling some kind of a con. <laughs> he has to be pulling a con. But he's he's showering her with affection and attention. So it cancels out the trickery. <laughs> Remember, it? I feel like we've had this conversation before. When, when you're a teenage girl, like if you get that attention, you're gonna take it. And, like, I think it's made clear Locke is pretty good looking, too. So that doesn't help. I mean, foxes are really cute. Yes. But, gotta watch them. Oh, I guess that that's fair. I, um, what did I say here? Oh, when Locke's, like, building up this story about, like, him and Cardin and Acacia and, like, all of the stuff in between them, blah, blah, blah. He was trying to, because he likes, and I think it's because he likes stories, he was trying to make it out to be this, like, grand thing that happened between the three of them and, like, why he's now picking Jude. But it's really very high school. Like, it's Mm -hmm. so high school where like one friend betrays another friend and like everyone's dating everyone kind of to your point like gossip girly it's just a standard YA trope like it's not actually that interesting or exciting I don't know why he thinks it is but whatever and also peer pressuring your girlfriend to go to a party is a bad look yeah don't do it Especially because, like, he's the one that led her away from all the problems, right? And has, Mm -hmm. like, come to, like, sort of save her from his friends. And now he's like, let's go Go hang out with Dragon's Den. Who just tried to kill you. Yeah. Casual. Great idea. I do, I really like that when they get to his house, she describes it in comparison to Maddox. Because that made it really helpful for me, who doesn't understand anything, (laughs) to, like, figure out, and to, well, I guess to put in better context, like, Maddox's importance in this world, like, how important he actually is, because he's a bigger house, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. even though we think of Locke as being one of the prince's best friends, and so important at school, in the world, he's actually not as important as her family. Um, And I think having that context is 
really important in terms of, like, setting. Um, because it really makes you recognize how safe Jude and Taryn comparably are to other humans mm-hmm. in this realm. Because Maddox's not going to let anything really, really bad happen to them. As long as he's yeah. aware that someone's trying. Because um, he wields so much influence. And then, yeah, kind of <laughs> going back to your comment about the walnuts. <laughs> I wrote down this comment. I was like, if a guy was like, your hair is like smoke and your eyes look like nuts. That does not scream beauty, my dude. How does Jude find this charming? It's a fairies have some sort of special way of complimenting each other. I swear to God. What the heck? And then I just had more comments about Jude's bad flirting. Only she would say a beautiful view looks like a strategy board. Because uh, <laughs> she has no sense of romance. And then she follows it up. She's making out with a guy and then is like, "Mm, but I'm going to question your intentions and all of your friends. It's like, girl, that's not how you flirt. Now, I don't want you to flirt with Locke, but you're trying to and you're doing such a bad job. (sighs) And I still, I really want to know, and I kind of mentioned this in the summary, where Locke was like, oh, you're not the way they said you would be. Who is he talking about? Why are you giving me a face? <laughs> I'm not giving you a phrase. I think it's just the friends. Why are they spending so much energy talking about you? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it just, it felt... I mean, like, I I know I said this earlier, but it just felt really sinister that it's, like, they're saying all these things about her, and so he's going in with these preconceived notions, and then he's like, oh, you're not, like, what they said you would be like. He's like, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is that a doesn't matter thing? I don't know, and I would like to know. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Stressing me out. Jude's fantasies stressing me out. Like, you're questioning his intentions. Which we're glad she's doing. Why is she fantasizing ruling his house by his side? She knows this isn't real. But she's still letting herself get into that headspace of becoming the mistress of this house. Because then Mm -hmm. if you get caught up in that fantasy, you're just going to be hurt more when it ends. And we all know it's going to end. Um, but also I love how even when she's, like, fantasizing being the mistress of the house, she's like, but I'm gonna betray my fake husband for the king. (laughs) I'll spy on my husband, too. I don't care. Like, oh, girl. God. (laughs) So everything at the party just felt off. Yeah. Like, uncomfortable, weird, not normal high school party-ish. I mean, I know it's not a high school party. It's a fairy party. But it still felt... It's the equivalent of a high school party. Right. And it felt off compared to the other fairy parties that we've seen. It's like there's some kind of game that's being played and everyone else knows the rules and what's being played. Jude's the only one that doesn't know. So it just... It felt strange. Like, Locke didn't feel genuine... Cardin, that's what I wrote. I was like, Cardin, even wasted, can't keep his eyes off of Jude. And then I put parentheses, 
probably pretending she's the one kissing him. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. he's so in love with her. And Nikasia's taunts don't even have a bite to them. Like, she's pretending for the sake of appearances, but she doesn't actually have a problem with Jude. So it was just, everything felt kind of turned on its side in a way that made me uncomfortable. Like, something else was going to happen, and I just did not like it. (laughs) And I'm scared for the next chapter, because something's going to happen to her at this party. I don't know what but I feel like something's gonna happen to her at this party because I don't think she's gonna be able to maintain perfect control around these idiots and Locke what did I write Locke does not have her best interests at heart he just wants to bag a mortal for his collection of stories Cardin's gonna be weird and Acacia's gonna do something <laughs> and that's what I got <laughs> yeah um I'm scared and excited to read chapter 17. There's one thing that comes up later on that I feel like you are going to absolutely flip out over. Great. I'm so excited for you to read it. (laughs) I think it's going to be so funny. So excited. Okay. Do you have any other commentary for the chapter? No, I do not. All right. Should we get into pop culture? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Do you want to go first? Yes. Okay. So... I had like two and a half, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is that whole thing where she's like, uh, it looks like a strategy board mm-hmm. and she's looking out at the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> Reminded me so much of this meme that I saw a long time ago. I think it was Prince Harry, Harry's wedding. Um, and they were showing an image. It was like in the commentary before the wedding. And the, the footage which was of the lawn near where they were getting married. Mm-hmm. And it was like a green and dark green checkerboard. Like it looked like a chessboard. And the mm-hmm. caption was, when the queen crosses the lawn, she can move in any direction. I just like that for some reason like reminded me so much of that <laughs> meme. I love that meme. I think it's like the funniest meme in the world. Oh my gosh. Um, like you're looking at that line and being like, oh yes, a strategy board. <laughs> a chess board. <laughs> love it. That reminded me of just, it was funny. And then they're kind of two wrapped up in one. Um, mm-hmm. When she's talking about... Um, She's comparing, like, the mortal world and the human world, and it's the way that it's phrased. She's like, in the human world, we children were always in the neighbor's yards, etc., etc., and then, of course, in the mortal world, there are such things as backyards, there are forests and sea, rocks, mazes. The way, though, that it's phrased, like, in the mortal world, reminds me of in um, Mean Girls, when Katie is like, Katie, wow, Katie is like, (laughs) when Katie's saying, um, I know how this would be settled in the animal world, oh, yeah. <laughs> but in the human and girl world, we we don't do that. <laughs> like it's she, like she is Katie in this. I love in this that. Instance. That's so good. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. That's amazing. Um, uh, it also kind of reminded me that whole thing too of the Little Mermaid. Um where she is trying to figure out this whole new world. Obviously kind of switched because in her world, it's the magic world, kind of. Mm-hmm. And on land is the human world, and she has no idea what's going on. Obviously, like in The Little Mermaid, she loses her voice. 
Um, and depending on what take you want to have, it doesn't end well for her. But <laughs> um, yeah, so that also kind of reminded me of that whole situation of like feeling like a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that's yeah. totally fair. I like that. I like that comparison. Um, okay, so I had a ton of pop culture references just when she was getting the lessons from the Court of Shadows. Which was, like, very quick in the chapter, but the things that they were teaching her and, like, the specific people that were teaching her reminded me of a couple of different things. So, first, the bomb teaches her how to find weak spots in buildings, um, which is something that you have to do in a lot of video games. So, the first one that I thought of was a game I played as a kid for the Nintendo GameCube called Star Fox Adventures, where, because normally Star Fox is, like, a flying game and you like shoot things in the sky but this one was on ground and you would always have to get little like crate bombs and find where there were like jagged things in the walls so that you could blow the walls up and like get into a specific room uh so it reminded me of that and then it's also in the witcher video games uh you need to find like weak spots in walls or weak spots in doors or doors that look like they're kind of wearing down a little bit so you can use your ard magic skill to like break the door down and get into the room (laughs) and then the bomb also teaches her to find weak points in people's bodies which is generally a standard practice in martial arts right like if your chakras are aligned and then finding the weak points in people's bodies so you can unalign their chakras but it brings me back to watching naruto as a kid because they always had to find those pressure points on people's bodies to like unalign them and kind of paralyze them Mm. have you ever watched naruto i've never watched it (laughs) oh my god well it was i remember it being a thing when i was a kid but i have not watched that show in years and then the ghost teaches her how to hang from rafters and not be seen as well as how to shoot with a crossbow so the first part the hanging from rafters and not being seen reminded me of rue from the Hunger Games, like, hiding in the huh. rafters yeah. and, like, messing with everyone. Um, because she was such a good tree climber. And then, secondly, every time a crossbow gets mentioned, I just picture Joffrey from Game of Thrones in his room, like, <laughs> threatening people with his crossbow. Oh, my God. Which is not... Because he didn't really know how to use it. He was just like, I have a crossbow. He was a baby. That oh, was the worst. Like, in all ways of that word. So, yeah, lots of pop culture references for the lessons from the, the Court of Shadows. Um, and then the jumping slash falling from the tower, I felt was very reminiscent of a lot of things in fantasy. Like, I feel like that just happens mm-hmm. in fantasy a lot. It's a big theme, yeah. Mm-hmm. So even though the situations aren't the same, it kind of reminds me of Calanthe's suicide in The Witcher, where she, like, jumps from the tower rather than yeah. the enemies getting to her, and then yeah. Bran being pushed out by the Lannisters in Game of Thrones. Like, this you gotta event... watch those towers. They are <laughs> deadly. <laughs> deadly. So this feels like it's right in between those two. Like, yeah. right, because Brands wasn't his own volition. Yeah. Calanthe's was. Um, so Jude, if Jude would have jumped, it would have been, like, kind of right in the middle of those two events. And then when Valerian grabs her throat and she stabs him in the ribs, I was just <laughs> immediately thinking Arya and the Night King. 
Right. Yeah, Valeria though is not anywhere near the, the Night King's level, but yeah, I can see that. No, but like the imagery of it, because she like stabs him in between the ribs when he's like holding her. It just kind of and the knife drops. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, so lots of Game of Thrones references this episode. And then I don't, I don't know why this next one came to me, but something about Locke being left all alone with his father being too wild to live in the court reminded me of Teddy Lupin. <laughs> because, like, obviously I know he was orphaned, which is yeah. different. Maybe, but, like, like, the fox and the animal reference? No, but, like, I feel like if if Tonks had died in the Battle of Hogwarts and Remus hadn't, what are the chances that he, in his werewolf wild self, was too struck up with grief and like had to go off and live in the wild because he wasn't safe to be around his son you know like i don't know why it's just like because he's a werewolf (laughs) you are spitting a whole thing here i know i'm dumb but because he's a werewolf and werewolves are generally considered very wild like they're not considered docile they're like very bloodthirsty and and yeah crazy um when they're actually when they've actually transitioned it's just like Something about him saying his dad was too wild to live at court full-time, meaning his dad was probably ostracized. Lupin was ostracized, and his mom died. Like, it just, the imagery came to mind for me. They're not exactly the same situation, but it came to mind for me. Plus, we know that Teddy Lupin was flirting with, uh, Bill and Fleur's daughter. <laughs> so, he was probably a little player. <laughs> just okay (laughs) not the best one but you know my brain doesn't always make good (laughs) connections um separate wizarding world reference going back to the walnuts thing him saying that your eyes are like walnuts reminded me of newt scamander's really bad flirting in the crimes of grindelwald where he's like trying to tell tina that her eyes look like salamanders that's funny (laughs) and his intent is good but it's such a bad comparison it's a terrible metaphor terrible but i love there's anything worse than a walnut it's a salamander (laughs) he was saying it's because it's like her eyes showed a fire within a dark pool of water that's why they looked like salamanders it was actually very poetic once he got it all out but to get to that point it was very awkward and then speaking of the fox stuff um it it just kind of reminded me of nick wilde in zootopia the actual fox who's like pulling all the cons and you never actually know if you can trust him Mm-hmm. That's how I feel I've about I've never Locke. seen Zootopia, but I will take your word for it. Oh, that's a travesty. Zootopia is amazing. <laughs> uh, okay, and then the idea of them standing in this, like, grand tower overlooking the entire land. The imagery, again, brought to mind Blair and Chuck at the Empire State Building. Like, when they're mm. meeting and having their moments at the Empire State Building. Um, though, I do not think... Locke and Jude are the love story of Blair and Chuck. Not even close. <laughs> Gossip no. is better. They might be like the beginning where they just fall apart, but not yeah. towards later seasons. 
Right. Well, and so, and then kind of other pop culture references relating to the two of them together, they're kind of like a twisted, dark version of Lara Jean and Peter from To All the Boys. Because he's this, like, popular, experienced boy. If we just take it on the surface level, so, like, not everything we learn about Peter (laughs) later on. But, like, when she first starts doing the fake dating thing in the first book, he's this, like, popular, experienced boy. She has no idea what she's doing. She's kind of hesitant to be like, that's not for me. She has desires. She doesn't really know what to do with them. Peter takes her to parties in the first one, which she has no interest in being in and she feels really uncomfortable at. But he's like, you're my girlfriend. You have to come to these. (laughs) Uh, So before Peter gets good, basically, is what the two of them are like. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Interesting. Your mind is so wild. It also feels like she's all that, especially with, like, the getting her in the clothes. (laughs) Oh my god. And I'm just waiting for them to set her up. Right? With like a <laughs> bad situation to happen where they're like, oh, we're gonna get this geeky girl all dolled up and then we're gonna embarrass her. I'm waiting for Man. the other shoe to drop. It feels like something more sinister is coming. Um, and then this is a very dumb pop culture reference. It's my last one. But the current Bachelor, Matt James, they've People on the internet have been making fun of him for kissing with his eyes open. And so they've been, oh, like, gross. memeing it. <laughs> oh, no. They've been memeing it. But when Carden was doing that and just, like, staring at Jude while another girl was kissing him, it just made me think of the Matt James memes. Oh, God. Anyway, that's all I got. <laughs> Those are some interesting ones. It wasn't my best. There. It wasn't my best week. I'm, I'm sorry. Your mind is a wild, chaotic world. <laughs> Which is funny because normally I feel like I'm so organized. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny. But anyways, yeah, that's uh, that's what I got. Um, Julie, who's your MVP for this week? I think that my MVP is going to be Locke. I agree. I don't think he has good intentions, but mm-hmm. I think that he is kind of making her try and enjoy things. Can she enjoy to the, their fullest extent? No, but she kind of gets a taste for a very different lifestyle, which I think that, you know, she has a point. Like, if she's going to be a spy, like, she should be getting this intel and understand how their lives kind of f- function. Mm-hmm. Um and then, like, but she's also having fun at the same time. Yeah. Like, the few moments that she allows herself to have fun, which I do think, like, as long as, like, he's not being extremely abusive towards her, like, there is something to be said about just, like, letting yourself enjoy your teenage years. Um, and she's kind of semi-aware, like, this is not going to go far, probably. Mm-hmm. So, no, let's just enjoy it. And I think that he, he's kind of just, like, a pawn to her which is completely fine and for me that makes him an mvp not because he's been a great character but because he's just there and like has a role to play in her character development yeah fair i like it i think that that's a really good explanation for him i'm i'm going back and forth between Jude and Nikasia. Mm. Because, so for Nikasia, I think she 
introduced a lot of really interesting story points in this chapter. Like, and a lot of uncertainties, right? So it's like, we don't Mm -hmm. actually know how she feels about Jude, as she evidences with her response when she's drunk. She's apparently been flip-flopping between all of these boys and that's all like new information and may come back to play later her mother is directly involved in potentially murdering the next king so like (laughs) there's all of this interesting stuff that's kind of like circling around her but we haven't actually spent time with her to understand how she plays into all of it um and to get her perspective so i'm interested in that and i think that it's gonna be more important later on but also I'm really proud of Jude for you know trying to open up a little bit and have fun and like pushing past her uncertainties and her discomfort because she knows that she deserves happiness um and so she's trying to like fight for that happiness even though she's clearly got PTSD from being brutally attacked multiple times by these people and she's not letting them get her down um I still don't really understand why she is still trying to date Locke but like I get her wanting to be open and like trying to have fun um like what you were saying things yeah exactly so this is the least suppressed that we've seen her so far so yeah I think I think I'm gonna go with Jude I'm gonna go with Jude this may be the one chapter Jude gets the MVP (laughs) No me. more. <laughs> this is your one chance, Jude. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. You haven't given it to her either, so. I have not. She's not our top choice. But yeah, that's that's what I would say. Um, For MVP, what would you, or no, sorry, for MVP, for your, <laughs> ah, for your book wine <laughs> review corner. I don't think that this is deserving of a wine. I think that this is a pure on, like, pure on, full on jungle juice. Like, Mm. this is a mix of, like, we start off the goddamn chapter with her learning defense mechanisms and spy mechanisms and training and stuff. And then we end the chapter and she's, like, debauched at a party, basically, or about to be. Um, And she still lets her guard down and almost gets murdered. There's nothing elegant about any of this chapter. Right. So it's a, just a jungle juice. I would rate it. it jungle juices aren't that great, but like I would rate an 8 out of 10 just because maybe there's just some good alcohol mixed into that jungle juice and we're, <laughs> we're drinking it in because we want to be drunk on it. It's a top shelf jungle juice. It's a top shelf. That's a good way of putting it. It's got the top shelf mixes in there liquors in there liquors there we go (laughs) Uh, that's fair i i would agree with that i would say for my wine corner in terms of how much whining there was jude was better this week than she has been in other (laughs) weeks and Cardin didn't really talk so we didn't get a lot of angst from him um and Locke's pretty happy-go-lucky so I'm going to give it, still given the amount of, like, angst that Jude has going on in her head at any given point in time, it always has to be kind of high. So I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10 this week. Like, Mm -hmm. not super crazy, but she still was like, I'm going to attack you, but, like, let's make out. But do I trust you? But, like, uh, you're cute. (laughs) And it was a lot of whiplash. 
Um, so her, her own personal angst, also her angst about, like, whether or not she was going to have sex with him and, like, what that was going to mean for her was just a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say 6 out of 10. Good. Great. All right, so that brings us to the end. Um, if you are finding this podcast on one of the various podcast apps and you're not following us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Unnecessary Angst Pod. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Unangst Pod. And on both Twitter and Facebook, you'll get weekly announcements whenever a new episode's been released. Um, and then if you have thoughts about The Cruel Prince or other Holly Black books or any books at all that you are interested in talking to us about, getting our thoughts on, giving us suggestions, asking for suggestions, you can send us an email at unnecessaryangstpod at gmail.com and we will be sure to respond because boy do we love talking about books. Um, and with that, uh, we'll let you all go and talk to you next week so bye everyone thanks for listening thanks for listening